the book of Acts of the Apostles, part 2. In the first part of this series, we surmised that the book of the Acts of the Apostles is essentially a documentation of the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early believers in Christ. And that the accounts given in the book were documented by Luke, the physician, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit himself, which made us conclude that the Holy Spirit is the author of the book of the Acts of the Apostles for all ages, uh, for Book of the and we, the believers today, and for all ages, the Theophilosis, that is lovers of God, it was written to. For we noted that when God writes to one person and it is made public, he writes to all. That should be some. Some other observations we made about the book of the Acts of the Apostles include the book of the Acts of the Apostles documents the first 30 years of church history immediately following the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of the Acts of the Apostles tells us about the message, mission, and ministry of the church of the living God. The book of the Acts of the Apostles also reveals the power, passion, prayer, progression, and persecution of the church. And not to adhere to the foundation laid down for the operation of the church of the living God is to operate on scriptural churches. Our prayer is that we will, as we look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we will begin to remove errors and beliefs that are unfounded in scripture from our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So that we can have a healthy church. So let's take our scripture texts, two scripture texts, Acts chapter 1 verse 1. And Luke chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. And Luke chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. Acts chapter 1 verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Of all that Jesus both began to do, sorry, began both to do and teach. Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed, that you may know the certainty. Of those things in which you were instructed. Having established the authorship and audience of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we note from our first scripture text, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 1, that the book is essentially a continuation of the Gospel of Luke with implications thereof. And this we shall be looking at today and the next one or two weeks. We are going to be looking at. The, the, the continuation, the fact that Acts is a continuation of Luke and the implications thereof. Now, so the, we, I, I've, I've used a, a title, Before the Acts. Before the Acts. This is part one. In addressing the subject before the Acts, we will be emphasizing the progressive nature of the believer's growth from the new birth to maturity. May the Holy Spirit grant us the grace 
to fully grasp the import of this subject in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, there are some things that we want to, we, we want to really, really focus on in this matter. Between the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, there is actually a span, what I call a transition period, where you will see Luke mentioning some things that are relevant to Acts, and in Acts some things that would have been in Luke. So there is a transition period. And you see that resurrection prayer from, I think, Luke 24, after the resurrection of Christ, to Acts chapter 1, I think, up to verse 10 or 11, when Christ ascended. In fact, up to the end of chapter 1, before the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit. It is chapter 2 that actually, where we can say the book of Acts really commenced when the Holy Spirit came and formed the church. So in that transition period, we, we are in that transition period as it were, in our study. And we want to focus on some fundamental issues, praise the name of the Lord. One of the things we have said is that the book of the Acts is a continuation of Luke. Now, in general terms, you know, when you, when you want to do um, something, you have part one, part two or book one, book two, they will say to you that the prerequisite for book two is that you have understood book one. Do you understand that? Good. So this is the situation here. We cannot just dive into Acts if we have a problem with Luke of the Gospels, which was what, which was what we read. He talked about the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Then, if you go to Luke chapter 1, which we read in verse 4, he said, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, so that you can be assured, you can have the certainty of those things that were told to you. I'm now writing it down. Many of us got born again because somebody preached to us. We didn't read the Bible. Do you understand? But having now been born again, what should we do? We now need to go to the world to be assured of what they told us. If I go to a meeting and somebody is saying something, I write the scripture down. When I go home, what should I do? I should open it so that I can be assured of that scripture. So in general, a good understanding of the Gospels should precede the experiencing of the acts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A man who has not had a grasp of the Gospel cannot fully appreciate the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. The good news must be before the acts of the Holy Spirit. We must have the good news. We must know what the good news is talking about. Praise the name of the Lord. In Mark chapter 16, for example, what is the good news saying in Mark 16, verse 15 to 18? And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Acts is about the signs to those who believe. It is about to those who believe. So what do we believe? To those who believe, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. 
and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Why is it that when we are supposed to act now, these things are not manifesting? It is because we don't have a full assurance of the gospel. Do you understand that? We don't have a full assurance of what we believe. There is no conviction. We are not fully persuaded of what we believe. In John chapter 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. This is the Lord Jesus saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does what? Believes in me. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to my... What is he talking about there? The acts. If you believe in me, you will, you will be involved in the acts. The Holy Spirit will be able to move through you. The acts of the Holy Spirit will be manifest in you and through you. If you believe in me. So we need a full assurance of the gospel truth. In the same John, chapter 7, verse 37 through to 39, John 7, 37 to 39, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and how many of us are going to him to drink? And look at that here. It says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what? Rivers of living water. He is quoting scripture. But if we don't believe the scriptures, if we don't believe him, if we are not assured, if we are not fully persuaded of what the scriptures are saying, then it won't happen to us. In verse 9 it says, But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, in the book of the Acts, and the latter part of Luke, and even Mark, Matthew, and John, you see the, glorified, the, the, the risen Christ, but not the glorified Christ. Where, where, at what point was he glorified? When he ascended to heaven. It was after the ascension that he was glorified before his father, and then the Holy Spirit came. In the same John, chapter 20, 30 and 31. We're going somewhere with this thought. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John is saying, I didn't write everything. Luke probably didn't document everything. But when you put all the four together, you see as many miracles as possible. But look at what he said in verse 31. But these are written, the ones in this, my, in this my book, I wrote them. For what purpose? That you may what? Believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have what? Life in his name. John wrote, the Gospels were written to assure us about Christ. How many of us are assured? How many of us have the conviction or are convinced? I've used the word assured, but I'm also using other words to, to let you, uh, to emphasize this matter of assurance. By the way, I hope you know that another word for faith is assurance. 
Another word for faith is confidence. Another word for faith is full persuasion or being convinced. In giving the account of all, not some, but all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, the Gospels highlight to us the life, the ministry, and the death, and, uh, uh, sorry, the, the life, the ministry, and teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I am not assured of the life of Christ, if I'm not assured of the ministry of Christ, if I'm not assured of the teachings of Christ, please, how can I act? Because in the book of the Acts, what we see is the pattern, the pattern of the life, ministry, and teachings of Christ being continued. Do you see that? It's a continuation being carried on because Jesus began to do those things, but he didn't finish doing them. That's why he said, the works that I do, greater works than this. You will do, you, will, you are supposed to carry it on. If I'm not convinced about something, I cannot sell it to anybody. Because it means I can't buy it. And if I can't buy it, I can't sell it to you. So, the question is, are we convinced about Christ? Are we assured of him? What was it that made the disciples able to carry on? I give you the introduction of that. Because it, was, it took more than that. It actually took, we are going to see that maybe some three, four weeks from now. What, what Christ did to, to give them full assurance. With full assurance, you are ready to die for the gospel. The reason why we, are, we have excuses is because many of us are not assured of what we believe. And we need to go back to the word of God. We need to be assured of what we believe. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Mark 3, 13 to 15. This is about the Lord Jesus. And he went up on the mountain... And called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And to have power to heal sicknesses. And to cast out demons. But before he sent them out to go and perform acts. What was it that he focused on? That they might be with him. So before the acts. Be with him. Know him. Know his life. What does it stand for? What was his mission? What is his ministry about? What did he teach? That's how you know a master. You don't know a master because they say Jesus and everybody's... It's not everybody who followed Christ, who knew Christ, who understood what he stood for, who recognized the pattern. These disciples who were used in Acts understood this because in following him, they had to follow his pattern. They have to follow his pattern. Now I want to take verse 4 again of Luke chapter 1. In the Amplified, it says, My purpose is that you may know the full truth and understand with certainty and security against error the accounts, histories, and doctrines of the faith of which you have been informed and in which you have been orally instructed. You have been orally told that faith in Christ frees you from sin. Now go back to the books and the gospels and be assured of this. As you read the gospel, you need to be assured of them. That's why we sang that song. Sing them over again to me. We must never be tired of the gospels. We must never be tired of studying the word of God. Over and over and over and over again, we encounter things 
that speak to us about, the, about, about Christ. So that we can be sure, we can be assured, we can be secure in what he has said. And not follow error. The reason why we have so many people going after some people and saying that they are going to church is because of this. People have not sat down to look at the gospel for themselves. One man gets up from one place and begins to talk. As long as he's, he's good in oratory, they say, oh, that is, that, 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 that's a man of God. It doesn't matter what he says. So he can tell them to go and bring sand and bring oil and he will mix some paste and tell them to drink it. They will drink it. If they had read the scriptures, would they see where Jesus Christ told them to drink sand? Would they, understand, would, would they not know that there's something wrong somewhere here? Many people are falling into error because they've not been assured of the gospel. Even many preachers today are falling into error because they have deviated, they have departed from the word of God, from the gospels. How did they depart? They did not go over them again. They were not assured of them. When they were not assured of them, what did they do? They began to look for their own ways of accomplishing things. You and I today are standing on the precipice of a people who can explode in the things of God or a people who will implode and just be, 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 be scattered, done away with, unless we are assured of the gospel truth. How do you know when a man, if a man is a false prophet, if you, have, if you don't have an assurance of what the gospels are speaking to us? In John chapter 5, verse 39, John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. How do you have eternal life? If eternal life is for you, it is only in the pages of the Bible. And it's not about a person. Do you understand? Eternal life is about a person, the person of Christ. It's not the Bible itself, but Christ that is eternal life. If you go to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, when the Lord was praying, he, he, he made a statement. I'll read from verse 1 to 3, even though it's not in your, in your, you can note that. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. Eternal life does not come from attending church. We, etern, attending church is a means to attaining to the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, which is eternal life. Do you understand? So I said that you search the scriptures. You think in them you have it. I said these things which we have heard of the Lord's earthly life, ministry and teachings. We must return to the Bible, the Gospels, to be sure, convinced, fully persuaded of, and to dispel all uncertainties and errors that may arise. Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 27 and 28. Acts 26, 27 to 29. Acts 26, 27 to 29. King Agrippa, this is Paul, speaking to King Agrippa about the things that had transpired, about Jesus Christ and his belief. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? What was he saying to Agrippa here? I am not speaking of my own. Remember what we said last week. What was the scripture that Paul then read? The Old Testament. 
What was the scripture that Jesus Christ read? The Old Testament. So he's referring to the law. He talks about law, prophet, and the Psalms. That's what he's talking about here. The prophets. King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. He's talking to a king. Do you believe the prophets? The thing I'm talking about. The prophets have spoken about them long ago. They merely manifested. He was convinced that what the prophet said, he had seen. In verse 28. What did Agrippa say? Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a... What is Agrippa saying? You have a convincing argument. But I'm not convinced. I'm almost convinced. Many of us are like Agrippa. Almost convinced. That is why we can lead faith and run for, to a man for help. We are almost convinced. We know. He said, like, Agrippa, you know these things. You know the scriptures. We know the scriptures. But we are not yet fully convinced. We are almost persuaded. Almost persuaded does not make you a Christian. Agrippa this was honest with himself. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Look at what Paul said in 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. That's a man who was fully persuaded of what he knew of Christ. Note, Paul never, saw, never walked with Christ. He was somebody who became born again afterwards. God has a message for us even in Paul's life. You don't have to see me physically for me to use you as I use Paul. In 2 Timothy, this matter of being assured, because I notice that too many of us are not assured of what we, what we claim to believe. And because we are not assured of it, we are ashamed of it. If you are not assured of the word of God, you are going to be ashamed of it. You are going to be ashamed of it when it comes to practicing the word. And many of us are unable to practice the word because we are, not, we are, we are ashamed of it, we are not assured of it. We cannot stand boldly and speak as children of God. And we want to get to that place. Before we begin to dig into the Acts, let's get into the place of assurance. We need to go home after this meeting tonight and talk to God and say, Lord, I need this assurance. I must be fully convinced. Second Timothy chapter 1 from verse 12 to 14. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good news, that good thing rather, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Because of Paul's assurance, he said, I'm not ashamed. Yes, I'm in chains, but I know why I'm in chains. I'm in chains because of my assurance of what Christ wants me to do. I'm not ashamed that, oh, the church is small. That's, I'm not ashamed of that. Not in, not, not in the slightest. Because I'm assured of what the Lord wants me to do. We are not assured. That's why we are ashamed of some things. We would rather be assured of if we had a warehouse in a prime location that somebody else has spent money on. But we didn't spend that money. But somebody else spent. We will be assured of that. What assurance is that? Does that assurance save you? It doesn't. We need to be assured of what we believe. These people were so assured of what they believed. They were willing to die for it. Paul was not only in, cha in chains in 2 Timothy, but time was right in 2 Timothy. His execution had been fixed. Not ashamed to die. I know that my life, I've committed it to God. God is able to keep it. Can we speak like that? Are we not, are we not afraid of witches? I mean, somebody was telling me the other day, oh, there are witches. Said, so what? How does it concern me? What's my business? There are be witches. It doesn't affect me one bit. I know, I know whom I believed. 
I know what I believe. You must get to the place where you know what you believe. If God says to you that you will live till you are 90, there is no body that can stop it. Are you assured of it? Instead, we prevaricate. We don't even preach. We don't speak with confidence. The only time I find us speaking with confidence is when we are resting on one officer somewhere. Oh, I'm sure he's going to give me that contract. He's the, he's the CEO of the company. What if he dies the day before? There were many people who were so sure that they were going to get certain things from Sonia Bacha. In fact, they would have told you that he's just on his desk waiting for signature. He never signed those papers. How can you be so sure of a man who does not control breath in his mouth? But you are not sure of a God who controls the breath of all men. How is that possible? We must be assured of the doctrines of the Lord as he enunciated them and as documented in the Gospels. It is this assurance that actually is a mark of a true disciple of Jesus. And the Lord Jesus went a long way to give his disciples that assurance. Luke chapter 24, after he had resurrected. You remember the, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Do you remember that story? How they were speaking and speaking so dejectedly. But we're just going to take a few... I want you to go and read the whole of um, Luke 24. But I'm just going to read a few portions here. Verse 6 to 8. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. This was when the angels were telling Mary. He's not here. He was telling the women who went to the tomb. He's not here. He's risen. Do you remember he told you that? And saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. What the Gospels do is to bring us to the remembrance of his word. Remember what the Lord told us about the Holy Spirit. He said, when he comes, what will he do? He will remind us of the things which I said. The Gospels remind us of what the Lord taught. Of the things he did. How he did them. Why he did them. Setting for us a pattern. But because men don't understand these things, they are not assured of them, they go about trying to do the spectacular. We are announcing beforehand the miracles we are going to do. Where did you see the Lord Jesus Christ doing such an announcement? Does the, does the gospel show us that pattern? Even when we get into the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we don't see that pattern. So where are we getting our patterns from? They are not scriptural. And we must stop it. When we make, when we make these promises, which we cannot keep, we end up in an attempt to perform, run to herbalists. Whom we should be preaching to. I've heard of Abelis who said that I know the word. I know many pastors. Forget it. <laughs> Nothing is going to happen to, from, 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 from me for those people. I, I'm the one who did it for them. How can they say of a pastor? And we are happy with that. When we went to town today, we saw all kinds of churches all over the place. And I was telling Barry, I said, those of you who are complaining that we are not many, please, have you seen these churches? Are they many? But we are preaching the gospel. Are they preaching the gospel? That is what is important. The Lord Jesus is not interested. You see, when we talk of growth, you people talk of growth in numerical terms. God is not interested in numerical growth as he is in internal growth of the individual. If God has one believer, one person who truly, truly believes in him, he will change this world. But a thousand and one people who don't believe in him, who just go to church, have you seen the protocol? Nothing has happened. Why do we focus on, on something that is irrelevant to God and rather than something that is relevant to God? Many people have moved from a true church of God to a place where Satan reigns supreme. Because they are looking for numbers. Go and read the scriptures very well. And let somebody tell me. How many people were in Jesus' church? Tell me the number that Jesus had. In fact on one occasion. I think in John chapter 6. From 66 down or so. The Bible says many of the disciples. What? They, stopped. they were not assured. So they stopped walking with him. Then he looked at the 12 and said. Are you still there? Are you not going? What did Peter say? He said where are we going to? 
we are assured you, you have the words of life. So where are we going to go to again? But as long as you don't have that assurance, you will look elsewhere. Verse 25 to 27 of the same Luke 24. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and I'm speaking to you today, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. To what was the Lord Jesus referring to now? The Old Testament says slow of heart, foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe what the scriptures say. Let me, let me paraphrase it. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses, Genesis, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We need to go back to the Old Testament and read it through to the Gospels. The things concerning Christ. And by the time we are looking at the epistles, we are seeing the explanation of those things. Look, the entire Bible, we have said this before, the, theme, the singular theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ and the salvation he came to win for us. That's it. There are other, other minor, minor things. But stop focusing on the minor things. How does somebody wake up one day and he reads the whole Bible and all he can see in the Bible is God wants you to prosper. God wants you to make money. Is that what the Bible is talking about? And you have, you have abandoned the matter of eternal life. To prosper to do what? To build a house? Is your eternal, is eternal life and the eternal life has it got to do with the earth or heaven? What are you assured of? To what is your assurance? So the Lord had to expand the scriptures to them. Let's go to 44 to 49. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. You see the Lord, you see the Lord reiterating, reinforcing, repeating the same things. We keep repeating things. We must keep repeating things. We keep saying the things over and over and over and over again until it sinks in. Don't get tired of the word of God. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. That's the Old Testament. All things written must be fulfilled. When we don't know what has been written, how do we know what has been fulfilled? By the time you read Matthew, you see a lot of this was done that it may be fulfilled that was written. If you have a cross-reference Bible, it will show you where it was written. Go and do some studies. You need to be assured for yourself. You cannot depend on the assurance that your pastor has. Your pastor has the assurance for himself. You must have it for yourself. So that you will not be ashamed on the day when you have to stand. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Or understand the scriptures. When we read this, don't you go back and say, Lord, open my understanding. Quicken me in my spirit that I may understand the word. What are you saying? What kind of prayer are we praying? Why are we not focusing on these things? Is it that we are not true disciples? Is that the reason why we are not focusing on these things? Because let me tell you, remember what we said the Lord Jesus told them. Say, go ye and make what? Disciples. We preach. If they believe and they say they have come, then they must be made disciples. He didn't ask us to make members. Anyway, let's continue. This brings us to the crucial matter of discipleship. What should be the content of discipleship? Who is a disciple? Since the Gospels are the prerequisites to the, excuse me, to the book of the Acts of the, of the Apostles, it follows that discipleship must precede deeds or acts. It is in the Gospels, through the Gospels, that souls are won. 
But these souls must now be brought to the assurance of what they believe, which is that's what discipleship is about, teaching them the word of God before they can begin to do anything. Acts chapter 19, from verse 1 to 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So what does that tell you? Number one, to believe is the same thing as to have received the Holy Spirit. So did you receive this when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Do you see? Look at verse 1 again. And finding some what? And finding some what did he say there? Some disciples. Some disciples. But whose disciples were these? Because by the time he says, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, We have not even heard of those. Ah, what is going on here? How can you be a Christian and say, I've never heard of the Holy Spirit before? Something is wrong somewhere. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? Into what were you dipped? So they said, Into John's baptism. John's baptism, John's teachings, John's doctrine. Because you can't be baptized without a doctrine. That's why we don't just, you get born again and then we baptize you immediately. In, 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 the, in the book of Acts, we find that happening a lot where they got born again and they baptized them immediately. And that was because a lot of people were doing that too already knew the scriptures. Those were Jews. They knew the scriptures already. So John, in John's case, they said, John's teachings, the thing that John touched, and, and, and ah. so in verse 4, Paul said, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of what? Repentance. Saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. Thank God Paul understood that. Sometimes when you go out to, 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 to share the word of God, they ask you some questions. How do you answer it when you don't have an assurance of what the scriptures are saying? You must know the scriptures. You must be sure of what the scriptures are saying. Otherwise you will, as, as, as hot as you picked up Christ, you will drop him. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. That's the church. Can you imagine twelve men who had not received the Holy Spirit gathering together to pray? Will that not be a church? They will do as they want to do. Because there is no Holy Spirit directing them. They can come up with all kinds of gimmicks. They can cook food for people to come. They can give clothes for people to come. They can give medical services for people to come. They can do anything to gather people in that, in that meeting. Twelve of them gather. They can do anything they want to do to gather people. Because they don't know the Holy Spirit. They were twelve in number. That's a church going. And yet, they didn't have, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And they called themselves disciples. Paul had to bring them to that place. Of that assurance. Now let's skip to 13. 13 through to 20. Now we are going to see some very interesting things here. Of what is happening today in the body of Christ. Or in the, in the, around us. I don't want to call it. This cannot be the body of Christ. What is happening around us. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. Took it upon themselves. To call the name of the Lord Jesus. Over those who had evil spirits. Saying we exorcise you. By the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Let's pause. You and I will call these people men of God. Prophets. Evangelists. Who we call them? Is that what we call them? Look at verse 14. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? They know those who know Christ. In fact, there's one, there's one uh, uh, teaching that we had some years ago. It says you must be known in heaven and known in hell. If you are a true disciple, you must be known in heaven and known. Hell will know that, ah, <laughs> this, man, this, man is, this man is awake today, we are in trouble. 
When you wake, when you wake up in the morning and hell does not notice you, you have, you have not started being a disciple. You must be noted by hell. That's why you are going to face attacks. How can you be a Christian and not be, you are not facing attacks from hell? That's from hell. But the Lord Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. It is whether they will prevail or not that they cannot prevail. That's the assurance we have. Verse 15, uh, 16 rather. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. If you were a true believer, who is a demon to beat you? Remove your clothes. You are running naked. A believer. Verse 17. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Have you seen it? Many who had believed did what? They came confessing, telling their deeds. What were their deeds now? The wrong things they've been doing. Repenting. Look at verse 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. We keep those books. We form a library of them. They burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and they totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. We don't know how much that is in modern terms. That was millions of dollars. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Why is the word of God not growing? Why is it not prevailing? Is it not because the people who are carrying the word are not assured of it? Is it not the people who are carrying the word are lame? The people who are carrying the word don't even know what it means. They can't even stand. They cannot even persuade anybody of the word because they themselves are not convinced about it. Brethren, you must be assured of the Lord's life, ministry and teachings before you can manifest the faith that brings us into the experience. The faith that makes us to experience the power of God must come as a result of our knowing that this is so. Faith is about believing Christ. Not believing some story that somebody told somewhere. But it's about believing Christ, what Christ has said. If, if, if a woman, let's look at the woman who with the issue of blood. As you read the Gospels, you can encounter that woman. A woman without invitation. The Lord is going on his own. The woman hears about the Lord. Just heard about him. No experience with him. Goes and says, if only I can touch the hem of his garment. And goes through the press of the crowd. There are other people following the, following the Lord. Pressing against him. Because the disciples made clear that everybody is pressing against you. How come you talk of this woman? Those people were pressing against him. But they had nothing called conviction about anything. For them, the, the garment of Christ was just an ordinary garment. But not for this woman. She never heard that anybody touched the hem of his garment. She just went, if I can touch the hem of his garment, something is going to happen. Today, we bring pastors and say, touch the hem of the garment. Something will happen to you. It's, this, is not, this is not Christian science. It's not Scientology. It's about relationship. And she touched the hem of the garment. And everything dried up. Say, wow, what happened there? Some of us want to look at the science of, of menstrual flow and how it can dry up. We want to say what organ was, must be changed. What, uh, and, uh, what, what's the, what are those things people call it now? Oh, I'm looking for some words. What hormones are, are not working properly for that thing to stop? No, it was a miracle. The other day I was, I was reading the Gospels and I came across the place, I think it's in Matthew, where the Lord Jesus said, when they said to the Lord Jesus, give us a sign from heaven. I said, I'm not giving you any sign. The only sign, a, 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 a wicked generation is always looking for a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Suddenly, it quickened in my spirit that, come to think of it, there's something about the sign of Jonah in the whale. You know, we just look at it as Jonah being swallowed by a whale. If anything enters into your stomach, immediately digestion begins to take place. There are, there are organisms in your stomach that begin to attack that thing to digest it. Break it up and pass it through your intestines and out of your body. How come Jonah entered into the belly of a whale and he was not digested by the belly of the whale? 
It was a miracle that Jonah was alive in a will for three days. Even Jonah himself said he went to hell. So you read the scriptures again, you read the gospel again, suddenly some things showed, shoot out at you. And you say, wait a minute. I didn't even see it this way. And you begin to look at it and you are now assured of some things that you were not, not even assured of. There are so many weak and lame Christians. In America, when we, when, when we were in America, it, the, 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 the scripture that talks about Elijah being taken care of by ravens, Elijah being taken care of by a widow, we experienced it. People who, who, could, who needed that money being the ones given to the work. You think that I'm, 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 today I would doubt that God can do what he wants to do. I can never doubt it. When I saw how he took care of us with people who you would consider ravens or widows. We have not lived in these experiences. That's the problem we have. And even when we have lived in the experiences, we are not watchful enough to know that this is the experience. And so we, we soon fall back to our old ways. Just sit back. When I shared that with my wife, my wife said, in fact, the other day she, she heard the Lord say, count your blessings, name them one by one. Just sit back and truly name them. No, don't, don't sing it. Just look back. And you will see, it will surprise you. The miracles that have taken place in your own life. But no, unless a man waves hand, you say you, you, you don't have a miracle. Somebody must say something. Somebody must wave a hand. But a miracle takes place in your life every single day. I can tell you that for all the noise that people are making about, oh, the economy is bad, this is bad. Even I tell people the economy is bad. But do you know that I don't feel it? Why don't I feel it? God has just shielded me. That's all. It's not as if I, I'm, I'm not broken or anything. But it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that the economy is bad. Discipleship is a very crucial part of what we now know and uh, what we now know as and call Christianity. I think it was last week that we mentioned that it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Christianity is about discipleship. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. Acts 14, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Do you see what they did there? They didn't just preach. They also made disciples. Before they left for Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. When we go out to preach, as much as possible, we want to do some follow-up. Those who are willing, we now proceed to teach them where they are. The Lord said something to me today as we went out. He said, take church to them. Since they won't come to church, you take the church to them. Let's take the church to them. If we are ten, a time is going to come when we can have ten groups teaching people in this city. That's what we need. It's not until they, we bring them in here, take it to them. But who will take it to them? You see, the people who are not assured of the gospel, who concentrate more on business than on the gospel, who concentrate more on their personal problems than on the gospel, and this is good, I will take it to them. Brethren, these things ought not to be so. Acts chapter 11, from verse 19 to 26. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word, of, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Serene, that's Libya, Serene is Libya, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. People turned to the Lord, right? Look at verse 20, 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in, in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. People are turning to Christ, but are they disciples yet? No. Barnabas, go and check what's going on here. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue. Do you understand that now? Continue with the Lord. It's not a once and for all thing. What Christ did was once and for all. But when you come in, it's not a once and for all. You must continue till you leave this earth. 
Verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Look at verse 26 now. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and did what? Taught a great many people. When you teach these people, what do they become? They become disciples. The next line. The next sentence says what? And the disciples, initially they were a great many people. But the moment they were taught, they became, and the disciples were first called what? Christians in Antioch. There is no Christianity if there is no discipleship. What you have is membership. And, and there are some churches, that is what they teach people. When the people, have, when the people say they have given their lives to Christ, they bring them to a membership class. We need to be reminding ourselves of the Lord's last command. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore, but let's take it from 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority, how many authority? How much authority? All, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has all power. So as a result of that, he says, Go therefore, on the basis of my authority, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Teach all nations. I think that's what the old King James says. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things. How many things? All things that I have commanded you. Not once you drop. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Or to the end of the age. The Lord's instruction to his disciples, the apostles, was to go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all things that he had instructed them. What are these things that he instructed them? His teachings. When we, by the time we start looking at Acts chapter 2, and uh, when, when those people got born again, the Bible says, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine, or the apostles' teachings. The teachings were not, were not left to some fellow who doesn't even know Christ. The apostles did the teachings. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6, when there was this rambling over, they are not serving food, when we have, our people are not eating, is it, what did the apostles say? The apostles came and said, it is not meat, it's not enough reason for us to live prayer and the word and come and serve tables. They recognized that they had to teach these disciples. Today we, we, we consider Sunday school as something that some small person should do. The pastors are the ones who sit in one corner and other people are teaching Sunday school. No, Sunday school is more than that. Sunday school requires those who, who know the word of God to teach it. Those who are assured of the word to teach it. It's time for us to, to, to start building ourselves up in the world. If you know that you are not there, start building yourself up in the world. It's going to come. A time will come when God will demand of you to do certain things. If you don't know it then, it means that you cannot be useful to God. God forbid that we will not be found useful to Him. The instruction that the Lord gave disciples was to make disciples, not members. We are so interested in the members we have. We saw many of them today. And you know they go, you know, you're not going to go, they go to church, but today I don't go to church. Why? I don't want to go. Those are members. A disciple recognizes that they gather together as a body. But we are not making disciples. We are interested in the members. So we take counts. How many people came today? 500 hours. Our church is growing. Your church is not growing, brother. Your church is obese. It's full of fat. When you see obese people, are they not heavy in weight? It does not mean that they are healthy. They may be weighty, but they are not healthy. You may have 10,000 people in your assembly, and yet, less than 50 are assured of the gospel. And you are the only one teaching. No other person is there teaching. You have not raised anybody. One fellow was on TV some time back that he's looking for 12 people that he can disciple. And he has a church. 
You have a church. You didn't find 12 in your church. It's on TV. You're looking for 12. Who don't know you from anywhere? In discipleship training, there's a relationship between the discipler and the disciple. Next week, we're going to see that. It's not enough to say you're teaching somebody. They must see you living that life. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is involving. It's not somebody at a distance. Thank God for internet and other things. Glory be to God. People can pick teachings and everything. Glory be to God. But they may be discipled by the internet, no problem. But when it comes to true discipleship, it is between you and that disciple. That's why your disciples can't be too many. And when they are mature, they move. So you must grow from being born again to the place of maturity. Where you yourself are now discipling people. The instruction is to teach the doctrines of Christ. Not the principles of the world. That supports what Barry was saying. Not to teach business principles or business methods. So teach the word of God. The teachings of Christ. The doctrines of Christ. Not to teach what we believe. Or what we think in our head. That has no scriptural basis. Many, of, many, many, many churches are now turning to cultural things. Tell you to go and bring this. Go and bring this. They bring a concoction. I, I, I hear some, some, some people. They give testimony. Ah, when I go, they give me assignment. What, who's giving, what assignment did they give you? To do what? What is assignment? Oh, Father, help us. Do you know that we continue to teach it? That's why I said we should pray at the beginning. That we never get tired of the word. We continue to teach it and teach it and until we arrive at the place of full persuasion. Till we can sing that hymn. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We live in a society where the natural order of things is want to be overridden. The many of the teachings that we hear today encourages us to negate the proper order of things. That's the attitude that we live in. Where children want to be and are in fact treated as adults, even by their own parents. Who know that they are children? Even before they attain puberty. You see, you see, full grown parents, they will leave a, a five year old to take care of a two year old. Please, what do they know? I'm going to market. Watch your sister, I'm coming now. And the mother locks them up inside and goes to the market. In a house where there is gas cooker. In a house where there are all manner of things. We live in a society where age is taken as a sign of maturity. Rather than the proven exercise of wisdom, discretion and discipline. People say, how old is he? He's 30 years old. Okay, so he's, he's mature. No! Can we prove that he's mature? Do we find wisdom in this fellow? This 30 year old man? Do we find wisdom? Do we find discretion in him? Do we find discipline in his life? Can we prove it? That's maturity. Some people think because they are married, so they are mature. Marriage doesn't make you mature. It could help you to be mature if you are disciplined. But it doesn't mean that you are mature because you are married. There are many people who get married and then you find them on the main road, walking all over, this, all, all, all over the place, becoming rabble rousers. Sadly, this trend has permeated and is gaining traction in the church of the living God. In many churches today, spiritual babies are put in charge of sensitive matters, like the nurturing of souls. The classical case of the blind leading the blind. In Matthew 15, 14. Matthew 15, 14. The Lord just said to, when, when they came and said the Pharisees were angry, he said, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's what we have today. Some years ago, uh, a, a young man came to me and said somebody directed him to come and meet me. That uh, the, the lady came to, to his church for a wedding. That, and that lady said that he needed to see me. Obviously, the lady must have seen something that he was doing wrong. I said, this man needs to be taught. 
So he, she gave him my, tomorrow I don't even know the lady, gave the fellow my phone number and said the fellow should call me. The fellow came. We tried to arrange when we can meet. Till this date I'm speaking to you, we never met. But we said, I said, okay, so what's your program like? On Monday, he has a, uh, Monday after Sunday, Sunday, they, they, they are there from morning till night. Then, on Monday, they have a deliverance service. On Tuesday, they have another, de- another deliverance service for a group of people. On Wednesday, another deliverance service. On Thursday, another deliverance service. On Friday, they have night vigil. Ah, I didn't hear once that he said, we have Bible study. They're not teaching anybody anything. So I asked him, tell me something about your salvation, your, after you got born again, what happened? He said, well, after I got born again in Lagos, after I got born again, I went to, uh, is it Delta State or something? I stayed in Delta State for two years, and then I came back and I started the church. Who was your pastor? Did you go through any training? Uh, no, no, God just told me to go and start a church. That's the blind leading the blind. All of them are falling into a ditch. By now, we should, we should have it in our hearts to cry to God for such people. And if we are not careful, we will become like them. This is another a case of babies, nurturing babies. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, do not make a novice, not a novice. A bishop should not be a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. There are many babies who are pastoring churches today, who don't know their left from their right. And the moment they, 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 they've tried their gimmicks and people are coming, suddenly you see them with their shoulders up. They have fallen into the same condemnation as the devil. Many of us cannot wait. Patiently wait for God to do what He wants to do. I find it very interesting when people make mention of certain church. Ah, this church is doing well. This church is growing. That church is growing. This church is growing. And I ask a question. How old are those churches? The Redeemed Christian Church of God, my alma mater, where I came out from, was founded in 1952. Nobody heard of Redeemed until the 90s. 40 years after. Over 40 years after. What are we talking about? What, what kind of generation is this that you want things fixed? Look at all those churches that are making noise now. Tell me how many of them are still standing to today. Even some of the churches that we feel, oh, these ones are doing okay. They are embroiled in scandals. Our beloved Christ embassy, I mean, hear, hear, the, hear the, the, the kind of thing that's happening there. We cannot be having babies, nurturing babies. You can't have a five-year-old taking care of a two-year-old. It's not possible. It can't happen. The proper order is that those who are born again are taught the word of God. That is, they are discipled before being sent forth to serve. Here we do. We, what we are doing is we are doing ministry team in training. Some of, some of you, are, I hear some of you are saying, ah, when is it going to be? Finish here. Does it finish? Does it ever finish? Do you ever finish ministry in training? In ministry team, con- you continue until you get to the place where you are mature. Because when we talk of, when we talk of disciples, you are the ones who will lead. Tomorrow, if, if anything happens and you find yourself in one place and the, you, you go to a particular church or you are in a place where there is no church and you start something, you are going to lead the church. If you don't know the word of God, how, do, how dare you lead the church? You better go and patch with somebody and sit down there and, and beg them to, to allow you to serve. But what we find today are people who barely know what it means to be born again, being placed over churches as pastors or themselves going out to establish churches. We find people whose umbilical cord to the world, that is the flesh, is yet to be severed and buried, being made ministers in many churches. I've heard of pastors who are still smoking Indian hemp. How can that be a pastor? And he has a congregation. Pastors who are visiting herbalists. Did, were they not disciples? What happened to the flesh? Was it not killed? When you catch fish in the waters, do you leave the fish like that? What's the first thing you do? You scale it. You open it up. You remove it. Because those entrails, if you don't remove them, they will spoil the fish. The fish will smell. So you remove all those things. Then you hang the fish and dry it for as long as it will take. Let it be very dry. Otherwise you will have maggots inside. 
If you don't drive properly, you have maggot crawling inside that thing. There are many people with maggots in their lives who say they are preaching, preaching the word of God. They have maggots in their lives. And I don't want you to be like that. Go back to the Gospels. Go back to the word of God. And be assured of what you believe. I heard the story of a man who, 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 who put some things on a wheelbarrow and crossed the, uh, the there's, a, there's a canyon between Canada and the US. I think it's the Grand Canyon or something. Massive, massive gorge on a tightrope and moved that wheelbarrow from Canada end to the US end and emptied it. And, and then people were clapping, 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 clapping. And he said to one of the men who was clapping, he said, do you believe that I can move you in this wheelbarrow across? He said, yes! The man emptied the thing and said, get into the wheelbarrow. The man said, please. Do you understand? We can say I believe. But when it comes to the practicality of that faith, do you be, can you really say you believe? This is, the, this is the challenge that we face. The transition between the, the, the Gospels and the Acts is about assured, being assured of what you believe before you can be used by the Spirit of God to do Acts. We find people who can barely read Scripture, calling themselves prophets and making pronouncements and being followed by men who are uninitiated in the things of God. The sad result of this trend is that churches are full of babies Canal men and women, and even worldlings, the unsaved, even in high places. There are many pastors' wives who are not saved. Just because they are pastors, because their wives are pastors, we think they are saved. They are not saved. If you were saved, truly saved, what is all this hand painting of different colors of things? And then you put it on the, on the picture. Forming their shame on billboards. Look at pastors uh, looking for digital enhancement of their photographs so that it can be pasted on, 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 on billboards. What kind of thing is that? Did we learn humility? No. Did we learn holiness? No. Did we learn charity? No. We are selfish, self-conceited, and, we are con- and they are con- these people are continuing as though all is well. These things ought not to be so. Hence, we must make discipleship the core of our own lives and ministry to others. We ourselves must be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only a disciple of Christ is eager to disciple another person. If you're not a disciple of Christ, you can have members and it doesn't matter. We must, however, first be assured convinced, fully persuaded of the gospel before we can get into the acts. You cannot evangelize effectively until you are assured of the, script, of the gospel. You cannot be engaged in ministry until there is that full persuasion in you concerning what the gospel says. We must also be continually growing in faith and grace before and as we, can, as, as we, and as we go forth rather, to preach and cast out devils, lest we be ashamed and become offended because we are suffering. Sorry, because of the suffering that arise from the preaching and practice of the gospel. We need teachers who themselves have been taught the word of God. And who are living as they should in accordance with the word of God. Really, disciples who can disciple others. I said that earlier. Only a disciple can disciple others. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses... Commit this to faithful men, really disciples, who will be able to teach others also. Do we have faithful men? Faithfulness in this kind of thing starts from your being willing to sit down and be taught. Brethren, before we talk of doing the work of God, which is what the Acts is about, we must first be assured, convinced, fully persuaded of what we believe of Christ. The mark of a true disciple of Christ. That is the mark. You must be assured of what you believe of Christ. Can Christ raise the dead? Did Christ raise the dead? Yes! Let them say whatever they want to say. Christ raised the dead three times in the Bible. I'm assured of it. I know that for a fact. How do you know that? I know that. We're going to see some of those things 
as we progress. The lack of full persuasion amongst Christians is a, a, purif- a, a, a putrefying smell that stinks before God. How can you say you're a Christian and you don't have an assurance of what the Word of God says? That's why people are contending. I don't think Paul meant this. He's not, we're not sure. Paul, because they're not fully assured of the gospel. How can people be... Con- I, I, I was in America some time back and, they, and I, I heard on radio that they're trying to gather one million signatures on the... In, on the, the, not, the word is not veracity, but let me use that word. On the veracity of the Bible. One million signatures, meaning what? What does it mean? Anybody can sign anything. What does one million signatures mean? You don't know that the Bible is true. You need one million people to prove to you that the Bible is true. We won't have Christians who say, ah, the Bible was proven when, by one, one event that happened in a... What event proves the Bible? The Bible is its own proof. If you don't have a proof from within you by the Spirit of God, then sorry, one day, that external proof you are looking for will derail you from the Bible. The same scientists who prove through their scientific work that, the, that God, is, God exists, those same scientists will prove to you that God does not exist. So why do you need science to prove to you? The assurance is in the scriptures. Look at the scriptures. You send the scriptures for you think in them you have but they speak of me, Christ. Have you found Christ in the Bible? Did you find Christ in Genesis? Did you find Christ in Exodus? Did you find Christ in Leviticus? Did you find Christ in Numbers? Did you find him in Deuteronomy? Did you find him in the book of Joshua? Did you find him in um, Judges? And so on and so forth. Did you find Christ through the scriptures? If you haven't found Christ in any of the books of the Bible yet, then, my brother, you have a long way to go. If you can't find Christ, in even the Song of Solomon, in Ecclesiastes, you can't find Christ there, then you have a long way to go. Because the entire scriptures speak of Christ. That was why they put it together, that these books speak about Christ. Any book that didn't speak of Christ, that was trying to speak of himself, they threw it away. Let me tell you something. All of us who preach the word of God, we are plagiarists. We plagiarize the Bible without apology. We are not like the world where they, where, they are, where they are plagiarizing themselves and they are apologizing. We plagiarize and we are proud that we plagiarize it. Because it's the word of God. What other words can we learn? So in an attempt not to plagiarize, some people who are not assured of the gospel are trying to form their own gospel and leading men astray. Brethren, before the acts of the apostles, there must first be the becoming a disciple. For discipleship must precede the acts. Let's bow our heads.